couple of Sundays ago, you remember um, we preached, or I preached, you didn't preach, you listened very politely, thank you. Um, I preached on uh, Isaiah 58, and uh, Isaiah 58 is a picture of the people of God um, who had basically become lethargic and complacent and uh, had become sort of bitter towards one another and were doing wickedness, and God is imploring them through his prophet Isaiah uh, that he wants to pour out blessing on them. And we looked at ten promises of God that the he- their healing would spring up suddenly, that the ancient ruins would be rebuilt, that they would become known as the restorers of the streets of the city, that they would, um, um, that they would, uh, their light would burst forth like the dawn. And uh, if you remember that sermon, I was trying to get it into your, bring it back to your memory, and that God's heart for His people would that they would just sort of bust out over the whole community around them. And that they would be known and have a legacy for their children. A firm foundation was another one of the promises. That if they would just have a heart after God and seek the justice and mercy of God and seek after God, that this is his promise to them. And after I, I preached that, I was sitting on it for a couple of weeks. I had Father's Day in between there. And I was sitting on that sermon for a couple of weeks, just sort of going over it and going over it and going over it. And my heart was really set on that idea of our light bursting forth like the dawn from Lakeside and the ancient and sort of dusty ruins of our community being rebuilt and to be known, not just Lakeside, but the Christian, the people of God, all the churches to be known as the restorers of the street and that in the shadows it would be like noonday sun because the light of the gospel and the truth of God was shining in there. And I just had this sense of transformation of the church sort of inwardly and then bursting forth out of the walls of the church like the dawn into the community. And all those promises poured out on Halliburton. And I was just thinking about that. I was thinking, where does that start? And I was sort of thinking about that and I was going through the, you know, the you asked for it slips of paper and stuff that people had sent me. And I had three things that sort of lined up with the way I was thinking. It was on the importance and the power of prayer. I had three requests for that. And I, and I sort of knew immediately the answer in terms of from Isaiah 58 of where that starts, where that light bursting forth starts, and where that transformation begins. And I'm convinced it begins in prayer. And so that's what we're going to look at today. How do we begin in prayer? And our, our text, if you want to turn there, is going to be in Daniel, Daniel 9, excuse me, 1 to 19. I'm just going to pray before we look into the word. Father God, as we look into your scripture now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here among us, that it would enlighten us, that you would lift the veil from our eyes, that you would give us understanding in our heart, uh, that we could know how to be a people who are zealous for good works, how to be a people who are passionate after the things that you're passionate for, how we can be transformed, and how our light can burst forth to transform this community. I know the answers are there for us, Lord. You're not, you're not hiding them from us. And so open up our hearts to make us receptive to them. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm speaking of here is sort of, and what I, the picture that you get out of Isaiah 58 is this idea of transformation and this idea of revival. And that's what that song was about of the city. 
that God isn't finished with this city, that he's a great and awesome God, and that there are still greater things to come. And that there, But the idea here is that there will be no transformation, there's no revival, there's no powerful pouring out of the Holy Spirit and blessing without sincere and constant, broken-hearted, repentant, seeking after God. Revival is not born out of programs. VBS is fantastic, and you should definitely volunteer for VBS. Because it is an amazing thing that reaches people in the community. But revival is not born out of programming VBSs. It's not born out of uh, youth groups. It's not born out of uh, even evangelism and evangelical events. Revival is not even about sinful and lost people of the world coming to know Christ. Revival is actually first and foremost about the people of God repenting and transforming and being obedient. And then, after the people of God do that, then we might see the fire and the light burst forth to other people. So revival begins with God's own people in prayer, seeking that transformation of their own hearts. Revival doesn't begin even in the church, it begins in each of us individually. If we have a church full of unrevived people, then we don't have revival in our church. If we don't have revival in the church, there's no revival in the community. And so we have to bring it all the way back to our own hearts and our own brokenness before God. The Holy Spirit has to work in my family before it can start to work in the church. The Holy Spirit has to work in the church before the Holy Spirit is going to work in the community. Revival comes out of repentance and brokenness. And so that's where Daniel 9, 1-19 comes from, and I'll, I'll explain why. In Daniel 9, 1-19, we're going to consider the circumstances of Daniel's prayer, we're going to consider the preparation for Daniel's prayer, and we're going to consider the content of Daniel's prayer. Those three things we're going to look at in Daniel 9, 1-19. And it's a long text, but bear with me as I read it. And look for those things, the circumstances, the preparation, and the content. In the first year of Darius, the son of Hasserus, by descent, Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him in prayer and pleas for mercy. With fasting and sackcloth and ashes, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, scattered in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of our Lord our God by walking in his ways, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity, for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. 
Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and your and hear, open your eyes and see our desolation and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh, my God, because you, your city, and your people are called by your name. So there's a lot going on there, and I'm not focusing primarily on the situation of Israel's wickedness, but I am focusing primarily on the circumstances of Daniel's prayer, which is Israel's captivity to Babylon. And so I'm going to do this very quickly to try to sort of gain an understanding of the setting of Daniel's prayer and how it might be relevant to us. Daniel is a Jew, he's a nation of Israel. Israel, as you know, is the nation that was chosen by God to testify of him to the world, or the nation uh, through which he will make himself known to the nations. They're the people of God, and they are supposed to be on display to put God on display. And God had rescued Israel out of captivity in Egypt. Remember that? And he gave them their nation. He took them through the desert, he gave them the promised land, he established them in Israel, and he established a line of kings for them. But the history of Israel is filled with times of falling away from God and from turning to idols and to wickedness and to rebellion. And so at this point in time, which we are catching up to very quickly, I just gave you 1,500 years of Israel history. Uh, (laughs) At this point in time, the southern portion of Israel, which was called Israel, is captive by the Assyrians. Okay, They got captive captive, uh, and, and captured first. And the northern portion of Israel, also known as Judah, is where Jerusalem was and and it hung on a little longer than the southern kingdom, it's now captive to the Babylonians. And Isaiah was the prophet who warned Israel about their captivity to Assyria. And Jeremiah, about 50 or 80 years later, is the prophet who spoke to the northern portion about Judah, about the Babylonian captivity. And that's where we are, caught up really quick. So Israel has fallen away again in two different chunks. They're captive to two different nations. Daniel is captive in Babylon, and he's captive to the Babylonians, uh, despite the warnings of Jeremiah all those years. Babylon has come and conquered Jerusalem. It's basically a ruin. It's basically deserted. There's a few people there, not very many. The Jews are scattered. And all the people are now captive of Babylon. That's the situation. That's the circumstances of Daniel's prayer. Why is that important? Well, Babylon is like Egypt in the sense that it's a godless nation. And it has put Israel into subjugation. And they were conquered militarily, and then they were held captive. But understand this, is that Israel is not captive in Babylon the way they were captive in Egypt. In Egypt, they were slaves. They were a distinct nation. They lived on their own. Uh, they did work for the Egyptians, making bricks and building things. And uh, they were basically a nation within a nation. The strategy of Babylon was to indoctrinate or assimilate the cultures that they conquered. And so Israel at this point, or Judah specifically, is in captivity to Babylon, and they are taking the best and the brightest the young princes and the rich merchants, and they're bringing them into the palace, and they are teaching them. This is the situation that Daniel's in. 
They're teaching them the Babylonian laws. And they're teaching them the Babylonian customs. And they're teaching them the Babylonian religions and gods. And so Daniel is there, and you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all these young princes of Israel are there in Babylon, and they are trying to get them to eat the food and learn the laws and become part of the culture. And so Israel is being captivated by Babylonian thought and Babylonian culture and Babylonian gods. They want to assimilate Israel into Babylon so that Israel just disappears. Marry them off, blend them in. And so the circumstances here that I want to look at is the church in North America today. We are held captive in Babylon. The church today, the Christian culture, is pressured to assimilate into the culture the media, political, faith, belief, value system of North America. The church is this little remnant in North America that is slowly being assimilated by entertainment and culture and thought processes and our kids are going to you know, the public schools and they're taught what they're taught, driven by an agenda that's not a godly agenda. And this is what the church was, this is what the people of God were facing here in Daniel's time. And Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were the few, the remnant that were resisting. And so we have in our culture today a church that is largely influenced by what's on TV, on HBO, largely influenced by what's on the news, largely influenced by what you're doing at work or reading in the paper. And for maybe a few minutes a day, maybe a few minutes a day, maybe a few minutes a week, the Word of God is supposed to stand against all of that. And so we have to understand that we are in danger of being held captive in Babylon the way the people of God were. The other thing is in verse 5, you see the people were guilty and ashamed. This is the people of God who were feeling guilty about, Daniel was certainly feeling guilty about the reality of how far they had strayed away from God. And I think there are portions of the church today that have an uneasy conscience because we know we are supposed to be a people that are zealous for good works and seeking hard after God and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit so that our light shines forth before men. But we're sometimes a little embarrassed to open our mouth and make a stand on things because the situation in our lives, there'd be too many fingers pointing back at us as a church. And I'm not trying to speak specifically of Lakeside, I'm speaking more of the church of North America. But it's hard for the church to take a stand on things when there's just as many problems inside the church as there is in society. How does the church make a stand on issues of sexual purity when they're dealing with the issues that they have in the church in terms of divorce and sex before marriage and even abuse of children that you know comes out story after story? And so there's this shame upon God's people that they sort of are kind of red-faced about. It says in verse 16 that they've become a byword of the nations. There's a reproach on Israel and there's a reproach on the church in North America where they're almost a joke. They've become a byword. They're gossiped about by the other nations. It's like, yeah, look at the, you know, look at these people of God. What a joke. You know, they're nothing special. They're no better than anybody else. They don't worship or, or they're not any more sacrificing. They're not any more interested in justice. Uh, you know, they're divided against themselves. So the people of God here have become a byword. And so we consider the church today, or the circumstances today, it's not that much different than the circumstances of Daniel's prayer. Daniel is there in Babylon, broken over the situation that's around him, because he wants the people of God to be following hard after God, and he wants their light to be bursting forth, and he wants them to be the people that are rebuilding the ruins of Jerusalem, physically and spiritually, and he wants them to be healing the nations, and instead they are wandering and captivated by Babylonian thought. And so he begins to prepare 
to pray. And so we look at the preparation for Daniel's prayer. And the first thing we look at, if we're in that situation and we need to pray like a prophet, how do we pray like a prophet? I think that's what we need, is people dedicated to pray the way Daniel prays. And the first thing he says here in verse 2, he says, he began in the books. The prayer of Daniel, it says, I perceived in the books. Daniel isn't praying his own thoughts. He's not praying his own ideas. He has the the scripture open before him, and he's speaking specifically of the, the letters of Jeremiah. He's looking in the book of Jeremiah, and he perceived God's intent. He perceived the will of God. He knows about the 70 years of captivity that God promised would happen. Jeremiah said that they will be taken into captivity for 70 years. And Daniel is in the Word of God, understanding the will of God and knowing it. And that's where his prayer begins. In Jeremiah 25.12, it says, Then, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And Daniel realizes, hey, that was almost 70 years ago. It's God's will that something is going to change here and I need to start praying that God's will would be done. And so he's in the Scripture. And when you look through that prayer, if we were to reread it, we would realize that Daniel is quoting Exodus, he's quoting Leviticus, he's quoting Deuteronomy, he's quoting the Psalms. That prayer is filled with Scripture. Daniel is praying back to God, God's own word. He's saying, these are the things that you did. These are This is who you are, God. These are the things that you promised in the book of the law. You said that we would be brought into this calamity if we disobeyed you. And he's praying that back to God, admonishing and acknowledging God. Not admonishing God at all. Acknowledging God for his prayer. But the idea here is that it begins in the book. I don't know if any of you remember the great Christian Joel George Mueller who started up all the hundreds of orphanages and looked after thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in, in the orphanages in, in England. And, and he saw the Great Awakening Revival of 1859, which he said led to the conversion of hundreds of thousands. And George Mueller did follow-up work for D.L. Moody, and he preached for Charles Spurgeon, and he inspired the faith of Hudson Taylor. But George Mueller said that for years he tried to pray without starting in the Bible in the morning, and inevitably his mind wandered. That sound familiar? <laughs> like, I can't pray for two minutes without starting to think about, you know, I gotta do something to the engine on the boat, or, you know, the vacuuming has to be done, or, you know, I, my snowmobile is still in the driveway. Graham knows that. He saw it there. It's almost Canada Day. I haven't even got my snowmobile put away. <laughs> I'm gonna have to get it ready to go. But I mean, is this you? Is this me? Yeah, it's me. I can't pray for two minutes without my mind wandering, right? Or I hear the birds, or I hear the, you know, oh, there's a dump truck backing up. What are they doing on the street? Like just, your mind wanders immediately. I can be thinking about anything at all, shopping lists, it doesn't matter. But George Mueller says he started reading in the Bible, he started praying from the book, and he turned to the book in prayer as he read, and for 40 years he was able to stay focused and powerful in prayer. And so we need to be in God's Word. If we want to pray like a prophet, we need to be in God's Word to be able to know the mind of God and to be able to pray God's words back to Him. You could just pray Isaiah 58 back to God that we want our light to break forth and we want to have the heart of mercy that He has. And we need to know the Word of God so that even without the book open, we can know how to pray. How are we going to know how to pray from Scripture if we don't have the Scripture in us? We have to be a people who are saturated with Bible so that our prayers are Bible-saturated. saturated. 
And I'll go a step further and I'll say not only should we have the Bible open with its words to teach us and to guide us and to keep us on track in some way, but that we should even have our own book open. And this is not, this is just my suggestion. This is the words of Paul Graham, not the Bible. (laughs) But that we have our own book open to write down our prayers and requests. I will just tell you personally, the best times of prayer for me are when I am consistently writing down my prayers verbatim. I just start writing everything that I would say in my head or out loud, and I just write page after page after page after page. It slows me down, it focuses me, and I can go back and I can remember the things I'm supposed to be praying for rather than forgetting day after that I'm supposed to be praying for somebody that I promised I would pray <laughs> a week ago for. Does that sound like you too? That's me. Oh yeah, I'll pray for you. And then <laughs> totally forget. Pray once, never remember. So have the book open. I'm just suggesting that if we want to pray like a prophet, we have to have the scripture open. And I would suggest because of our frailty and because of our modern culture where we are not a verbal society anymore. I mean, it used to be an oral tradition where people would memorize like, Homer's Odyssey, <laughs> you know, or the Pharisees, they memorized all of the law of Moses before they were 12. Like, we're not that culture anymore, so we need to have books open in front of us and be writing and remembering and staying focused in prayer. And so Daniel's prayer starts in the book. Secondly, Fasting, sackcloth and ashes in verse 3. It says, Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And so as Daniel prepares to pray, he's got the Scripture open, he's reading the Word of God, and then he's putting himself in a posture of humility. He understands how he is to prepare himself and how he is to approach the God of the universe. I mean, sometimes... We come and even as I open up in prayer and I say, let's pray before the service or or when Elder Graham is praying and we forget because we do it so often sometimes, even as we're driving to work in the car. And that's great. It's great to pray while you're driving and it's great to pray while without ceasing at any time. But there are times when we're coming to pray when we have to realize, wait a minute, (laughs) we're stepping into the presence of the God of the universe and we have to just quiet ourselves and humble ourselves, and prepare for what is about to take place, because we're going to talk to God. And God's going to listen, and God's going to talk back to us, if we're quiet and we listen. And so Daniel, in his preparation for prayer here, he approaches the Lord in humility. In this cultural context, they used to wear this old sackcloth, and cover themselves in ashes, and, you know, not put, anoint their head, and, you know, they would kneel, all those different things. I'm not saying you have to cover yourself in ashes, but it would be good to kneel once in a while. Do we even kneel anymore in the presence of our God very often? Do we either go into our closet and shut the door and just lay down and pray to God in humility before the God of the universe? And fasting is a good discipline as well to remind us to pray and to make a small sacrifice as the offering to the beginning of our prayer so that when our stomach growls, we remember, why am I hungry? Oh yeah, I'm supposed to be praying. You know, or we go to turn off the TV and it's like, why am I not watching TV? Oh yeah, it's because I'm supposed to be praying. We can fast from a lot of things. But the idea here is just the preparation for prayer. That to pray like a prophet, you need to be in the scripture. You need to have the words. You need to be disciplined and you need to approach God as God. In humility, seeking diligently His mercy and His forgiveness. And it's fantastic that we can just pray over breakfast and we can just pray on the drive into work and we can just pray while we're standing at the photocopier and we can just pray while we're, 
you know, cutting up firewood. That's great, and God wants us to come into his presence all the time, but I'm just imploring you, I'm suggesting that to pray like a prophet for the release of the people of God from bondage and for the light to break forth, at some point we have to get on our knees in humility and seek the face of God, as Daniel has here. And then thirdly, the content of Daniel's prayer. This is very practical, and it just happens to work. You can use the little acronym ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And it's a simple little mnemonic, or if you prefer, and you're a cat person, you can say cats instead of acts. Um, but I like acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. When you go to pray, you begin with adoration. Daniel has a view to the God's glory in his prayer. That the purpose of Daniel's prayer and the purpose of the salvation of his people and the purpose of the light bursting forth and the transformation and the restoration of the ruins and all the great things that Daniel is wishing that's in line with God's view is for the purpose of the adoration and the glory of God. And so when we pray, the first thing we remember, that's why I like Acts because it puts it first, the first thing we remember is a zeal for God's glory. In Daniel 9, 18-19 is where we see this. As Daniel is praying, here's the adoration piece. He says, Incline your ear and open your eyes and see our desolations, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, pay attention and act for your own sake, because your city and your people are called by your name. God loves to make much of His glory, and God loves His Son, and as we pray on this side of the cross... Daniel's praying on the other side of the cross. As we pray on this side of the cross, we can pray for the glory of God through the salvation of His Son who redeemed us by the cross, that He would make the name of His Son Jesus great, that He would make the name of His people great through the sacrifice of Jesus. That if God would listen to our prayers and forgive us and act, He would act for His glory and His name and not for our sake. We don't pray in our righteousness, but because of God's righteousness. We pray for His mercy so that He can be known as a merciful God. We pray that He show us His love so that He can be known as a loving God. And so we pray for forgiveness so that He'll be known as a forgiving God. We pray for rescue so that God will be known as a rescuer. It's all to make His name great. Daniel prays to pray like a prophet is to pray for the glory of God's name. That's adoration. And so we begin our prayers even as Elder Graham begins that prayer every time. God, You are awesome. Just start there in your prayer. Secondly, confession. From verse 5 all the way down to verse 14 is a whole lot of confession. Daniel is repenting of sin. We have to confess sin as sin. When we pray, when we come before God and we are put in the place of our frail, sinful, human weakness before a great and glorious, righteous God of the universe, how can not, after adoration, the next thing be confession? of how unworthy we are to be there. And mostly in the church, quite often, what we often do sometimes, and I'm talking about the church in North America, not this church, we look for ways to make our sin seem less hopeless, and we try to make it sound like sickness or failure and not sin. And Daniel uses words for sin that are not happy words. He says wickedness and rebellious and wrong and treachery and disobedience. Daniel is not trying to sugarcoat the behavior of Israel. He's calling sin, sin, and saying that we are sinners and we need to confess that before God. 
that we should feel bad about our sin, that we should recognize God for who He is. And that's the benefit of prayer, that we come into the presence of a holy God and we cover our mouths and we cover our eyes and we dare not speak because we can't look upon the holiness of God without the blood of Jesus Christ. And we get a picture of that in Isaiah, the prophet that was right before Jeremiah. It's just about 100 years earlier than this, 150. In Isaiah, you remember in 6.1, Isaiah 6, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Here's Isaiah. When he goes to pray, he's actually given a vision, a picture of God on the throne. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Wow, how often do we go into prayer in that attitude? That we are a people of unclean lips. And we dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So we have to be on our face before God, His holiness, acknowledging sin as sin. And Isaiah in in there obviously feels remorse for the sin of his own life and for the sin of the people. And it leads him to repent of his sin. And we need to be repenting of our sin before God. We have to feel broken and remorseful before God. And I'll just make one quick point here for the sake of time is Feeling bad about the consequences of your sin is not repentance. Everybody feels bad about the consequences of their sin. (laughs) Okay, When something bad happens because we've been sinful, everyone feels bad about that. That's not repentance. Repentance is a step deeper than just feeling bad about what happened because you sinned. Repentance is acknowledging there's something worse than the consequences of sin. There's something even worse than your sin. Repentance is realizing that the worst thing that has happened is that your sin has brought disgrace upon the glory of God. That God has been offended by your sin. And until we're broken under that, God can't rebuild us. Until our own selfishness and our own pride and our own rebellion is sort of taken apart and dismantled in the presence of God, the way that Isaiah is dismantled in the presence of God there, then God can begin to heal us and begin to rebuild us and begin to rebuild those dusty foundations. It's a dangerous thing to pray this way, to pray like a prophet, because you're praying for brokenness. That God has to break us before He can rebuild us. In Psalm 51 it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And again in Isaiah 66, he says, But this is the one whom I will look, he who is humbled and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. To pray like a prophet, to be seeking the transformation of the people that God desires for us is to pray to be broken before God in prayer. That's confession. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. In verse 15, it's interesting here that Daniel then remembers in his prayer all the things that God has done for Israel. And this is what we need to do when we pray. We adore Him. We give Him glory. We confess of our unworthiness. We break our hearts before Him for His glory. And then we thank Him for all the things that God has done. He says, And now, O Lord, our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for Yourself at this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. And so he remembers that they, that God brought them out of the land of Egypt. That God rescued His people time and time again. 
For your name's sake, you saved those people. You saved us in the past. And God, you can do it again. And we need to pray remembering the long-suffering and the patience and the gracious mercy of God and give Him thanks for who He is and all the things that He has done. Remember all the things that God has done through church history. There were dark days in the Christian church that God rescued the church from. And there are dark days now in the Christian church that even now God is rescuing churches from. And then there were days of revival when the church was at its most low and then the nation and the world was in despair and then God rescued the church and whole cities and whole nations and the great awakening came to a dead church in the first half of the 1800s. The church was dead. And that's when God acted and there was revival. It was a society destroying itself with the plague and hangings and crime and oppression of the industrial society in Europe in the early 1800s. And God stepped into that darkness and there was the great awakening and there was revival. And so we have to remember as we pray, we pray thankfulness for God for what He's done in the past. And we can be in that situation today. We can read the newspapers and we can see the crime rate and we can think about the moral decay and the values that are being forced upon society and the addiction and a darkness and despair and think that God can't act, but the dark days are exactly when God acts and that's when Daniel is praying. The people of God are in captivity in Babylon. They are taken away captive at the darkest moment and that's when God is going to act. And that's when Daniel is praying for God to act. And so we need to be thankful in remembering the things that God has done. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And that's what Daniel's praying for. That's what Isaiah 58 was painting a picture of. A people who were humble before God, whose hearts were aligned with God, and whose healing came upon them swiftly, and the rebuilding of the foundations, and laying a foundation for generations to come, and restoring the streets, and all those things come from a people broken in prayer before God, and thankful for what He had done. We can even remember what God has done for Lakeside in its history, and be thankful for that. We are here today worshiping in Lakeside because of what God had done in the past when this church was in need. When there was a need for anything, God came through with it. People humbled themselves in prayer and there was prayer meeting and people were seeking the face of God and didn't God answer those prayers for Lakeside? Since 1903, God's been answering those prayers for Lakeside. And Lakeside is here because we can be thankful that God has moved in our history and answered prayer when we've been faithful to pray. And you can remember what God did in your own life as you are praying and you get to that section after A, C, T, Thanksgiving. You can be thanking God for what God did in your life because you are where you are because God is a deliverer and God is a rescuer. At some point in your life, probably multiple points, God rescued you. You may not even knew, know that He was acting to rescue you. But as you think back, you think of the things that could have gone so sideways. But God rescued you in those things. And so we need to be thankful to God as we pray. And God will show us revival again if we pray like Daniel. In adoration and confession and thanksgiving. And then finally in supplication. At the end of our prayer, God asks us to ask. Daniel's not afraid to ask and he says, God, listen to the prayer of your servant. And listen to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, make your face shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate. Incline your ear. Open your eyes. Forgive. Pay attention and act. So the end of his prayer, praying like a prophet, 
Daniel's done all the preparation. He's in the Scripture. He knows the will of God. He knows the character of God. He knows the nature of God. He gives God all the glory and all the adoration. He confesses his own sin and the sin of his people. He gives God thanks for everything that God has done. And then he says, now God, act on what I'm praying. Open your ears, open your eyes, and act. God asks us to ask Him to act, that He will move His hand as we pray. It is this crazy reality of prayer that that Elder Graham referred to earlier. That we have this incredible privilege of coming to God in prayer and that God's hand will move as we pray. And so Daniel asked for the salvation of his people, that God would restore what is desolate, that he would hear the prayers and act, that he would work with the power in the need that Daniel and the people of God have in captivity in Babylon. And this is how we have to ask God to bring our desperation before him, our brokenheartedness, and seek God to act for his own glory, to see his name made great through his people. Now the question remains in conclusion. It's called begging the question. There's an assumption to this whole thing about prayer. The circumstances of the prayer, the preparation for prayer, the content of the prayer. What's the big assumption over all of it? Do we really want this? Are we the broken-hearted people who want desperately for our hearts to be transformed and aligned with the will of God? Do we want our light to burst forth like the dawn? Do we want to rebuild those old ruins? Do we want to be known as the restorers of people? Do we want to do the work of being broken and confessing before God? Do we really want revival? Because that's the question. Because if we don't really want revival, then we won't be praying these prayers. Do we have the same heart for God? Or would revival just sort of be an inconvenience? Would it sort of get in the way of my nice normal life routine, to actually have God do this. Because this is a dangerous prayer. This is the thought I want to leave you with. This is a dangerous prayer that God might actually do it. That he would actually take us as a church, bring us to a point of repentance and to a point of contrition and humility and healing to be able to rebuild those ruins and that our light would break forth and it will interrupt our comfortable lives when he does it. And so to pray this is a dangerous prayer for ourselves and for the city. And so the challenge that I leave you with is at least once a week, starting now, at least once a week, I suggest Wednesdays, on our own, to pray for repentance, to pray for our own humility before God, to pray for even the desire for the things that God desires. So that as a church, we could together get the same vision at the same time for the same brokenness and the same healing that our light could burst forth like the dawn. And that will only happen if it begins individually in prayer in our hearts. And then maybe some of you, second level to my challenge, worship team, you can get ready. (laughs) Second level to my challenge, some of you this will resonate with and you will want to begin to pray again together. And we will pray together for our light to break forth like the dawn from this church. Whether it's Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday after church, Sunday before church, Tuesday, I don't care. You come to me and tell me. But there will become a passion for prayer after God's own heart to see this transformation. And so we don't have any excuse. We know how to pray like a prophet. We know the circumstances, we know the preparation, and we know the content. Let's 
pray dangerously for a brokenness before God that His Holy Spirit would work to revive us and our light would break forth like the dawn to heal this county and this village. Let's pray. Father God, we just give you thanks for your word and as the worship team comes now again to sing that our hearts would be aligned and transformed to be like yours to be like your servant Daniel's, to be passionate for the reformation of his people and the healing that can spring up among them, to be set free from bondage and to see your name made great among the nations as a result.